0: This is Kate Massey, practice professor here at the Wharton School and co-host of Wharton Moneyball. In the segment we're sharing with you this week, it's Josh Hermsmeyer. He is a writer at 538 and focuses on football analytics. We talk a lot of the show about momentum, hot hand, and Hermsmeyer gets Bradlow excited about the possibility of negative momentum. We also get into the draft. One of the things we saw happening in the playoffs this year was outstanding performance by a quarterback who was drafted with the very last pick in the draft, Brock Purdy. Finally, Josh gets into this bit about analytics and team culture. So, here's a conversation with one of our favorite guests, Josh Hermsmeyer.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio.
0: Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball, coming to you from University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, the Wharton School Huntsman Hall. Serious X and Business Radio Studios coming to you from the studios. This is Cade Massey hosting with my buddy, longtime collaborator, faculty colleague Shane Jensen, and my buddy, longtime collaborator, faculty colleague Eric Bradlow. Audie is away. Audie will be back. Gentlemen, we're in the middle of football, NFL. You know, it's heating up and winnowing down at the same time. It's that moment of the year, and we need to talk football with somebody. Who'd we think about? Who'd we think about, guys? Who's one of our favorite people to talk football with? Frisco Josh. Frisco Josh. Maybe the
1: founder of airyards.com yeah, also.
0: Yeah, exactly. How about that? Josh Hermsmeyer, good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Always good to be on Wharton Moneyball.
0: We just had a special, I don't know how many years have they been doing that? Not many, right? Monday night football version of the wildcard round, which is terrific. So we got six games across three days.
2: I did not expect going into this weekend that I'd see a game with four interceptions from one guy. And four missed points from another in the same wild card weekend. That was pretty mm-hmm.
1: impressive. Let me ask you a quick question about the game, Josh. As you saw it, um, we know the outcome, and it looked like obviously the Cowboys were the much better team in the game. But do you ever, someone that watches sports, thinks about the analytics of sports? For me, who's a Bucks fan, I think if only Tom Brady hadn't thrown that red zone interception down six to nothing. Let's imagine he's the standard Tom Brady oh who God. hadn't thrown a red zone interception like three and a half years let's imagine the bucks go up seven to six instead of now you know it everything turns around the other direction do you think there's any chance the game turns out differently or you think no it was just so much evidence that the better team won the game
2: so i i I, i've been talking about this a little bit lately but i don't believe in the hot hand in the nfl so positive momentum but i do think there's pretty good evidence for negative momentum like teams can have meltdowns and that's a thing and I think it certainly looked to me like a bit of a meltdown for Tampa Bay across the board. They just, Brady couldn't get started. He looked ineffectual. He looked weak. And, and, and that, that particular play, I think it was the first time that had happened since, was it 2019? Yeah. 2019 or, is yeah. the
1: last red zone interception he had thrown.
2: Right. So I, I just, I, I do think, you know, we kind of poo poo in the analytics community, the mental aspect of performing and high end athletic events. And I, but I think that, I think that when things start going really bad, I think that can snowball, and I think that's what happened. So yeah, no, I I think this could have been. Look at the very end; it, it sort of felt like they just ran out of time, right? Like it, somehow, if Brady could have kept going for another quarter, that he could have made it close. It kind of felt like that at the end; like he was tr- the team might have put something together. So perhaps you're right.
1: Well, you know, let me just counter that to our fans here, because they know I'm a Bucks fan. Um, at when the Bucks did score, and make it twenty-four to six. They did have an opportunity to stop the Cowboys from using a 15 play drive and driving down the field, and the defense didn't look like they could stop. If you're a in hardcore
0: time. momentum guy, which on occasion you put on that oh, hat, I am only a to provoke, momentum guy. then you would say, well, had they only converted that two point try, then maybe the defense would have stopped those guys because
1: I'm that's... not a micro level <laughs> momentum guy, but, but that, I do believe. I mean, that... I, I, yeah.
3: I, I don't know. I mean, and I, I Josh, would be interesting to hear what you know analysts can kind of tell about this. To me, it seemed like Dallas was dominating on both sides of the ball. The li- like the lines, like offensive line versus defensive line on both sides, so dramatically that I mean, yeah, I mean, the Bucks got a couple garbage time touchdowns at to the end when Dallas went kind of full prevent defense, but. Mm-hmm. I think the counterfactual you know I I have a hard time coming up with a a reasonable counterfactual where the bucks somehow pull that off even with like you know you know taking that interception out of it or something like that but I don't know I mean maybe, I mean that was again just me watching my you know the team I was cheering for getting creamed you know on Monday night football maybe it actually wasn't as stark a difference as I thought it was in, in terms of the o-line and d-line play
2: oh gosh and the trenches no that was a mess for Tampa Bay and and the quick game wasn't working the way that Tom Brady hoped. I mean, even some of their screen passes were just not working. So, no, I, like, I, and I, and, you know, again, like it's all caught up and it's all fraught to say that, you know, all these negative plays strung together equals momentum, but, or negative momentum. But um, it certainly looked like nothing worked for Tampa Bay on offense. No matter what they tried to do, all their answers to what was going on on defense didn't seem to function the way they'd hoped.
0: Did you hear uh, Orlovsky speculating in the middle of the game about the Cowboys having the this, 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 this defensive signals? He was specul- pure speculation, I believe, but that's how bad it was.
2: Well, so I can't give names, but I was at a defensive coordinator's house and he told me that they had stolen signals in a game, an important game once. So I know it happens. And <laughs> and so who knows? It certainly looked like they yeah. knew what the heck was coming.
0: Well, well look, can you say just a touch more about this negative momentum idea? I'm surprised Eric hasn't jumped all over because Eric is in so much in the market for momentum stories. Well, we so.
1: agree 50%. I agree in positive and negative momentum, <laughs> but keep going.
0: So uh, how serious are you and how might one operationalize it? Because you, you know, you write provocative articles, but you underpin them empirically. So is this something you've done? Is this something you're planning to do? How much you operationalize this idea of negative momentum?
2: So um, it was actually a great article last year, I believe, on ESPN. Um, I'll tweet it out after we're done. And I can't unfortunately remember the author. He did a great job, though. But he basically came into the problem looking at it saying, I don't believe in momentum. And. He interviewed a bunch of people, uh, talked to some uh, sports psychologists, Mike Leach, a bunch of people. And what he came down to is that we overuse the word momentum, and especially in broadcasts, it's kind of been beaten out of any kind of meaningful uh, – it doesn't have any meaning any longer in terms of how it's described, but that he does – the study seem to support the idea that once – like if you're told something negative, it takes three times as long for you to break out of that mindset as if uh, – as if you were told something, or let me put that the opposite way. So if you're told something positive, you need to be told it over and over again before it has the same effect on you emotionally and mentally right. as one negative comment. That's probably the right way to put it. Could we look? And at- so I think that when you have multiple negative things happening to you in a, in a short period of time, I think that that can affect you and the others around you. Mm-hmm. Could we um, so not...
1: Look at the, let's say, play-by-play expected points added and look at the serial correlation and see if there's an asymmetric effect where, you know, the probability of negative given negative, let's assume it's first-order effect, probability of negative given negative, that might be different than the marginal probability of negative, but the probability of positive given positive is not different than the marginal probability. So that would be one way just to mathematically operationalize it. Yeah, I I,
3: I mean... I just I feel like it's hard to because every football play is an interaction between two opposing sides. I don't know how you tease out because when I'm thinking about negative momentum i mean i'm I mean I think it would be a great kind of theory to kind of like help explain things like what we saw with that you know the Chargers Jaguars game or something like that where you have a team completely dominating for a half, and then all of a sudden some you know kind of the you know a couple of bad things happen and it just sort of snowballs like that. Like, but but that's but,
2: such a that's such a great example because I actually don't think the, the the Chargers were dominating. They were playing pretty pedestrian ball. I mean, they twenty of their points or something like that came off turnovers. They right. were just getting really really fortunate in, 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 in turnovers, and then they weren't even really capitalizing on, on them all that well. I think they had two two field goals, one on a muff punt where they took over at the six, and they couldn't even convert that. So I just think that like in that game in particular, this would be confounding on this whole operation. This whole idea that we're trying to find this signal is that you would get games like this where really all that happened was Lawrence became the player he was all season in the second half. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like anything really changed in terms of his play all that much. Like his first interception was a tip pass by Bosa. So it was just kind of wrong place at the wrong time. Um, the second play, I, you could argue it should have been uh, DPI, Um, so they're just, they they had to overcome, they they had every bad break, the the team, they had to overcome every adversity that you could put in front of a football team in that first half. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the Chargers were just kind of, I don't know, they were just kind of muddling through. Mm -hmm. And I I think Brandon Staley kind of said, he spoke to that at the halftime. He said, that wasn't our best half of football. He knew it.
1: Let me put another mathematical try on this, since I wanted to stay with Mona for 30 seconds more. Let's imagine we don't think it's a macro level thing. It's a micro level thing like players can get affected by negative performance like they do badly like that kicker last night for the Cowboys. He misses one. There's more chance he's going to miss the next one. Now, let's I'm just coming up with a theory. You can say it's Mm -hmm. wrong. Negative momentum or positive momentum happens at the individual player level. And it's correlated across players. So it's almost like a contagion, like a network model. Like one player starts by making a bad play. Then another player has to try to compensate for that other player's bad play. And then he tries to overperform. And then there's So you could imagine a viral spreading model where it's not teams have negative momentum. It starts with a player, goes to some other player, then it goes to some other player. And if enough players... Are performing negatively, then it appears in aggregate that there's negative momentum. That's a testable mathematical theory, mm-hmm. by the way.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the the trick in all these is that you have to show that the state is different after one of these things occurs, as opposed to there just being a regime shift, a negative regime shift, where it's just overall lower performance, which is the more parsimonious explanation. It's like, look, look, that the, the Cowboys just had the Bucks number, and the Bucks just looked bad as a result. It wasn't that one bad execution led to another so there's ways to parse that empirically but that's the real test on it being momentum and not just a regime shift remind me how the nfc is stacking up because I went, san I francisco wasn't against
3: dallas and uh philadelphia okay against, so that one
0: surprises me so you think you think the niners may crush the cowboys yeah
2: i i think i think the niners will go to the super bowl and lose but i i, I just uh I, maybe it's my rooting interest. I love that Brock Purdy is doing so well. Um, and again, let's—I don't—I don't, I don't want to oversimplify things. Is that it's because you're a big a Iowa
0: State fan? Is that what's going on there? I, I, I absolutely <laughs> love that the last this,
2: pick can, in the draft that everyone passed on yes. is winning playoff games. Uh-huh. Like, and then so, 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 say me, more.
0: I, say more about why you love that. Is it because it's such an unusual event, or is it because philosophically you're in some kind of battle?
2: Yeah, there is a philosophical battle. I guess I'm also burned from the wars of trying to understand and predict, and project QB play into the NFL, and and realizing that there really isn't a good answer, and that people who are overconfident about their opinions and who is going to be good, um, uh, in the fact that they get shown up like this and then just kind of let it roll off their back. I mean, I, I just think this is a an important moment. Like, I think people need to internalize that Mr. Irrelevant is winning playoff games. <laughs> and and that and what that means and okay, okay, i don't okay, i don't okay. think it's happening okay. to okay. the degree that it should
0: um okay real quickly the pushback is he's in that particular offense now is that you're okay with that that's part of your story or oh, that's or, definitely that's part of your story but what if what if shanahan's such a what if shanahan's a rare commodity and there then he's not available so you can't create these systems willy-nilly and drop the the 300th pick or the 250th pick in there
2: but even the Niners don't believe it's all Shanahan; otherwise, they
0: wouldn't have spent three firsts and a fifth on maybe, Lance. Maybe they're wrong. <laughs> maybe they have it right under their nose and they don't have seen it clearly.
3: I mean, yeah, do I you mean, think Jimmy Garoppolo is a particularly good quarterback? Okay, I'm 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 not because he got draw- and- I mean, you know, I mean that that you know how how we we do have observations on how other quarterbacks have done in that system. I think That's Brock Purdy's looked much better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. Okay. Just in that same system, so there's that. I mean, we've only got six games worth of observations, but so I'm
0: asking the question sincerely. I love your I love your overarching enthusiasm for this empirical event. I love it because I'm on the same boat you are completely. But I am asking myself that question. It's like, is it just the quarterback? You you didn't say just. I'm putting just in there. Is it just the quarterback play is so hard to forecast? And as long as you get lucky with the right guy, you're going to be great. Or is it that and it's so interdependent with the system or the players or the coaches?
2: It, both things are true, absolutely true. Um, but so many people, when they're analyzing QB play, they're, they're talking about traits and these things that kind of travel absent scheme and absent the perfect situation. And they're saying, this is how we need to you know, you know, rank our players. And I'm saying, well, if you're not good at that talent, part (laughs) you know if you're not good at ranking those traits correctly then what are you actually adding to the conversation let's just get good coaches who call good plays smash all the easy buttons put good schemes in place and and then just take your shots on your quarterback until you get someone who's going to get you to the playoffs Mm -hmm. um and and that's a just a completely different philosophy than than what teams Mm -hmm. are are currently using to build
1: to build Mm -hmm. teams i just wanted to see josh if you would agree with this potential skill set so i saw a great analysis on espn where they were talking about brock purdy and they were, they were talking about a particular play where there were eight different things he could have done on the play. And in their mind, he chose the right one. And so my view is that is that a skill set you see? In other words, they always that this person can read the defenses or go multi level or, you know, go to their fourth or fifth option. That to me was the most impressive thing that I've seen about him. And I've now gone onto analytics websites where they basically have built like a choice model of all the choices he could make. How accurate is he in choosing the positive EPA play? And it turns out to be he's really good at that. Is that something that could ever become something we measure?
2: That's fascinating. What 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 website did you go to to, to find that choice I will model?
1: send you the link to it. It was actually, okay. literally, it looked at every play and said he's got four options, six options, seven options. You can compute the expected points of each, and it's just like a, you know, pick one out of seven model. Did he pick the right one? And then you try to compare his probability to the norm in the National Football League. I thought it was one of the most fascinating analyses I've seen. He's scoring really high on making the right choices.
2: No, that sounds amazing. That sounds like an incredible analysis. I'd love to check it out. And just I just wrote an article on Purdy last week and I watched all his throws and I can tell you that a lot of the stuff was schemed up, certainly. Um, And I, I used one as an exemplar of that. It was this orbit motion, double fake and then a Y leak where the where the where the where the tight end actually fakes to block and then. You know, leaks out and, and he scored a touchdown with George Kittle. who was mostly yards after the catch. Yeah. There's lots of that, right? Yeah. There's yeah. definitely a lot of that with Brock Purdy. But then there are these beautiful plays where he goes past his first read and throws it deep down the field and reads the defense, stands in the pocket. These are the throws you expect of a first-round quarterback, of a starting quarterback. Not the last pick in the draft. And that's amazing to me.
0: What's your position on the Eagles these days? And like the Ravens we talked about earlier, historically people have thought about them as a very sharp club. Um, I don't think they've done anything to solid that reputation lately, but they've got this question mark. At least some people debate what they have at quarterback.
2: I think the Eagles are the, the sharpest birds now. Uh, I think they have to take the number one spot um, in terms of the smartest organization, sadly, as a, as a Ravens fan. But no, they've just been doing everything right for probably the past two years. And um, certainly, we're doing a lot of things right before then. So, uh, no, I, I think they're great. The consequence
0: is you stack up a bunch of small edges, essentially, because none, none of the, no one move is going to make the difference. But if you, if you have all these, you said smash the easy buttons, each of those easy buttons gets you a little edge. And you stack up enough of them, and they might accumulate to a substantive edge, and then you have a better chance of luck breaking your way. So that's something the Eagles have going in their favor. I'm sorry, I interrupted you.
2: No, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, um, and, and I think the other thing about the Eagles that I really respect is I have this philosophy of what the point of analytics are and is, whatever. It, it, and it's, 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 not, it's not tactical. It's not even seasonal. It's this idea that you have a transparent process that everyone understands and that you gain those edges, right? So you win more. And then because of that, you can build a culture. A culture that allows you to not just put the team first. You can actually play favorites with people who deserved to be played favorites to. You can treat people like humans and not, you know, be a complete uh, misanthrope, be a, be a, a, a kind of a, a, a person who will do whatever it takes to win. Okay, oh, no, 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 no,
0: no, connect those dots for me. Why is it that? you I see that use analytics consistently for years to so start winning. So you say, once you start winning, then you can build a culture. What is the connection between a winning culture and being able to treat people like humans, not misanthropically?
2: Well, the idea here is that, you know, you get you get cushion, right? And and everything that's left after you've wrung out the edges that are empirical is is this uncertainty. And a good leader, a, a good GM can then use that uncertainty in creative ways to motivate people. And, and again, you motivate people by spending that capital on the people who deserve it to be spent on. And, and you, like I said, you can play favorites in a way that everyone respects because everyone plays favorites. Um, and, and, and you can either do it in a way that's kind of opaque and that causes, so dissension within your organization, or you can do it in a way that rewards the people who are doing it the right way. And are you, and so, are
0: you saying there's, when you don't have wins, in your reputation, you don't have the cushion. You have to make some misanthropic plays in desperation. You're like, you have to do some things that are against culture in order to seek that edge that you didn't get somewhere else. Is that, is that the, is that the connection?
2: That's correct. And, and, and so, I mean, I guess the, the canonical example here is, is the Browns. They, they don't use analytics as I understand it. Um, They, they are seeking edges in a way that destroys culture and and I don't think that's the point of analytics. Like you don't sign a guy and, and trade and leverage your future um, for someone like Deshaun Watson who is just toxic in, in so many different aspects, and uh, and then expect to be build a winning culture because that that's really the goal. Again, that's the goal of of, of building in these cushions of, of of stacking these edges is so that you have the ability to to build the team the right way.
0: Well that's a big topic and super interesting and it's something we have to talk more about Josh seriously because often people think about analytics and culture being antithetical and I think most coaches run one way or the other but you're arguing that not only or do they not have to be negative they can be positively related that seems really important because folks do get that wrong people get it wrong in both directions people get it wrong on both sides and so that's it, but it's a big topic and we'll have to dig it up on another occasion, Josh, we have to let you go. We can do this for a long time, but we have to let you go. Thank you for giving us as much time as you did. Um, thank you for visiting with us here at this fun moment in the NFL season. And um, keep up the good stuff. People can catch you at um, at Frisco, Josh, on Twitter. They can catch your writing on Five Thirty Eight. What's what's what? What have you got up there? When is when is something new coming up there? What's the latest with you in Five Thirty Eight?
2: So, depending on what happens this week, I'll probably be doing an article on Hertz next week. So that'll be interesting. There be you talking go. about the uh, the Eagles and and how they uh, you know they drafted him when they still had Wentz and all the rest. So
1: right, yeah. And just quickly, Josh, you said you think the Niners are going to lose in the Super Bowl. Who are they losing to? Uh,
2: the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs win another one. Okay. Man, what do you guys think?
0: Bills mafia. Bills, I'm with Bills you mafia. On
3: Sick'em. I think the Chiefs win. I'll be cheering for not the Chiefs, but I think the Chiefs win.
0: <laughs> uh, would it have been different if Buffalo had beaten Cincinnati and secured home field? No, you don't think so. Okay, you think Chiefs are that much better? Oh man! All right. Well, I'm on the karma side of things. I, I'm going Bills. I, I'm just going Bills until until it happens. Just to, the world needs a Bills victory.
2: I think that the uh, the Bills fans are, are kind of on my side I think they're fatalistic they, they're just waiting for the shoe to drop yeah I really they, they don't have much confidence
0: well it'll be fun it'll be fun to play out Josh thanks man good to talk to you we'll talk thanks to you guys. soon Josh Hermsmeyer you can follow him on Twitter at Frisco Josh you can follow stuff on 538 it says he has a piece on Hertz coming up soon well guys that has been another Wharton Moneyball thank you guys for listening from the studio come back and join us next time between now and then Enjoy your sports.